fire of your love, Lord. Your word tells us that when you send your spirit, we are recreated and the earth is renewed. And on this hot and busy day, Lord, we need some renewing. So we invite you into this place, Spirit of the living God. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The Old Testament story, that story in Genesis that I alluded to before we started our psalm about Abraham bargaining with God, is one that really, really interested me in seminary. Um, I get a little tired listening to it go back and forth. I don't know why Abraham just doesn't start at 50 and jump to 10. But there's, I think, something in the uh, author's mind, probably Moses, um, that wants us to hear a particular thing about our relationship with God. And so on Sunday, I tried to unpack a very complicated... Uh, anyway, I, it, didn't, it didn't come out as well. And so I'm just going to take a little portion of what I tried to say on Sunday and then reflect on that today in a couple thoughts. What we've got in this Genesis story is all three members of the Trinity. We had them last week when uh, they visited Abraham and Sarah about the birth of the child. Remember, Sarah laughs at the tent. You know, she's 90 plus. That would make anybody laugh. I don't, and I don't think God's mad that she laughs. I think he kind of does one of those, okay, you think it's funny now, wait till you're eight months pregnant kind of a thing, you know? But she laughs, and they name their son Isaac, which means in Hebrew, God laughed. And um, that's the story we have preceding this one. But the unique thing of that story is there are three persons standing there at the tent, and Abraham waits on them hand and foot. And so those three persons, most good theologians believe, are a foreshadowing of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're not a foreshadowing. They are actually the Trinity. And here we've got, at the beginning of this story, which is on the heels of last week, um, this uh, Bible uh, verse that begins, Then the Lord said, and he's talking God the Father is talking to someone. Abraham's not there yet. But he's speaking out loud about his purpose of going to Sodom and Gomorrah. Potentially, or maybe it was angels, but it was probably the Son and the Spirit who were standing in the company of the Father. As God says, I'm going to go down there and see what's going on. And the reason he's going down there, this is what I think is important about the whole bargaining with Abraham and a lot of what the Old Testament points to. The reason God's going down there is because he's heard the cries of his people. In the gospel, we hear about the knocking at the door, the asking, the impudent best friend. It reminds me of me and Charles. I can't help that he's here. I could, I could see myself banging on his door late one night and saying, Charles, you won't believe it. My brother showed up unexpectedly with his kids and, and Charles would be yelling down, I'm not coming to help you, Beeson. And I'd keep banging. And what the gospel is trying to tell us is it's not necessarily our friendship that drives Charles to help me. It's the, it's the, gosh, I'll help him just so he shuts up and gets out of here. Which is not, of course, the way God works, but it, it works for our own human understanding of what it means to consistently cry out to the Lord. He hears the cries of his people, and he wants to make sure that they're just. Because one of God's supreme characteristics, one of the natures of his character is justice. And so he, he says at the beginning of this Genesis reading, I've heard their cries. I'm going to go down there and see for myself what's going on. And um, it's the way he behaves to, to this very day. It doesn't end in the Old Testament. God doesn't stop listening to the cries of his people. Jesus hears the cries of all of us and our sin all the way to the point of going to the cross. So it's a consistent thing God does. Remember this story from earlier in Genesis. God telling Moses, Behold, I've heard the cry of my people of Israel. It's come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, he tells Moses, 
I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. He heard their cries. I love this a few chapters later in, in Genesis. The Lord says to Moses, why are you crying to me? Moses is trying to get out of the job. Go and tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. God's standing there basically saying, Moses, what are you waiting for? I told you I'm here. Get going. Go through the ocean or go through the Red Sea. Get out of Egypt. God hears the cries of his people. Even Moses, who's complaining. In Psalm 34, we hear this. When the righteous cry for help, the ten righteous here, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. In Job 35, we hear, Surely God does not hear an empty cry, nor does the Almighty regard it. He is well aware of each and everything in our lives, brothers and sisters, that's causing us to suffer, causing us to hurt, or causing us to dwell in kind of a dark place. So just a reminder, he's coming to the town of Sodom and Gomorrah for two reasons. He's heard their cries, and he wants to bring judgment and justice. Rabbi Jonathan Sachs wrote this quote. I love it. Speaking about this particular story in Genesis where Abraham's bargaining, Rabbi Sachs writes, There is nothing like this before, nor is there, to my knowledge, anything like it in any other religious literature. Yet it is no isolated phenomenon which means that Abraham's not the only one who's had discussions with God. It is the birth of one of the great Jewish traditions, the argument with heaven, for the sake of heaven, the covenantal dialogue between God and man in the name of justice. I love that. Our God will allow us to bring our questions, our petitions, our second guesses to him, and he doesn't just sweep us away with his hand. Because the most interesting thing about that is this idea that I left at Bishop Fitzsimmons' feet at the 11 o'clock service. Does that mean, if we can bargain with God, that we can change God's mind? Never thought of that. It's a great dinner discussion. Can God's mind be changed uh, by our arguing or by our discussion with him? Well, I think if we look in Scripture, we can see many places where it seemed like God was going to do one thing and then either recant it or changed course and did something else. I think for our sake what happens actually though is God allows us time to come to his same conclusion. In other words, when we're knocking and we're asking and we're begging God to do something for us, if he doesn't do it immediately, we instinctively think, well, the God didn't hear my prayer. It actually could be that he's heard our prayer, he knows the result that he wants, and we'll see that result someday one of the expressions we use often in our society is hindsight's 2020. Well, hindsight, brothers and sisters, for Christians could actually be realizing that we've come into alignment with God's covenantal plan for our life. We've come into alignment with that. According to the gospel, we've got the Spirit of God operating in us, Jesus says, so that when we ask, when we knock, when we beg, the goal isn't that we're immediately our needs are immediately met. The goal of it is, with the Spirit, that we come to the same conclusions as God. That God will move us to a place to want what He wants. As I mentioned in my Sunday sermon about our time outside of worship, I said, from Sunday to Sunday, it seems like a lot of us, me in particular, don't do such a great job handing out God's mercy and justice. I used the example of losing my temper with the two ladies who were coming to the AA meeting the week before. I'm not going to tell that story again. 
But um, if we're the instruments of justice and mercy, I don't seem to be doing such a great job Sunday to Sunday, or even Wednesday to Sunday. It seems like I'm, I'm flagging or I'm running out of energy. But here's, here's what we have to remember. It's the ironic thing that Scripture points out, especially when we come to the place in the Genesis reading today where Abraham looks at God and says those words, Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Think about that. It's verse 10, I think. Um, it's verse 25. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? In other words, Abraham's looking at God and questioning his justice. It's, it's, um, it's almost comical for us on this side of the cross. God's justice looks like him giving up his son for our sins. The only way we can understand what it really means to bear out God's justice is to look at the cross and then come to the same conclusion that all of us have come to, and that is, oh my gosh, I could never have done that. But it's the only way the equation gets set right. To question God's righteousness and judgment um, is to question why God didn't spare his son for the sake of bringing justice and righteousness to each and every one of us. It's the only way we can go and do it is because we've been given it. Do we get that? Without God first being just by giving up his life, we have no hope of bringing justice or mercy to anyone. And until we receive that truth in our hearts, brothers and sisters, I would say we live meaningless lives. We live lives without purpose. But once we accept God's grace, once we receive his justice, we receive Jesus into our hearts, then like I said, the question that Abraham asks God is comical or ridiculous. Of course, of course, God will do what is just. He always does what is just. So two questions we don't need to answer them today just to think about as we leave. Where in our lives are we meeting or bargaining with God? Is it over our health? Is it over our relationships with other people? Is it over our job? Is it over our children? Where are we meeting and bargaining with God? And then what would it look like if God's will was done in that situation? It probably is not what we're asking for. And then secondly, when we do understand that we have been given this gift of justice and mercy, where in our lives is God sending us to bring that justice and mercy? Is it our neighbors? Is it to our children? Is it to our work space? Is it to our roommates or our spouses? Where is God sending us to bring his justice and mercy? Sometimes it's big and splashy. It looks like helping with vacation Bible school or going all the way to Africa, bringing God's justice and mercy. But sometimes it's small and quiet, like visiting friends here in the church and sharing coffee with them. But both of those are examples of bringing it. Either way, God is handing this mission to us. Of course he will do what is just, but now he's counting on us to do it. Amen.